EcoHealth, your internet radio. Are you there? How are you, Manier? I'm good, I'm good. Okay, let me just shut that one down. Okay, cool. And we are live. Okay, so we set up. I can hear you. I just want to see if I can put and you... And I can hear you. Desktop list. If I can put you louder on my side. Start button. Okay, it doesn't want to give me that meeting. Uh... Well, it's working, but yeah, I can't get to that specific window, but it's fine. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> what is the time now, Dietrich? I think we've got... We've just hit... I've got it at 12.59, so we've timed this perfectly. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see we have to check about 25 past. Uh, then we'll quickly go to music and... Uh, uh, yeah, then we'll play some music and do... Uh, just start a new meeting. No, no problem. Because I, I don't know if the listeners are aware, but I'm, I'm, I've tuned in from Cape Town today. We're doing this via Zoom. Yes, Didrik is down in Cape Town, and we're doing it via Zoom. So we, we are um, officially uh, doing it outside. Um, what do you call it? Broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> and and the best part of it is I had I have a, I had a bit of a road trip behind me earlier this week. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I think we should uh, start off with that. <laughs> yeah, no, we. I'm. Um, I'm. I have. I have a little bit of business to do down down in Cape Town for one of my businesses, and I want to meet up with the Road Trip Magazine guys to finalize some stuff. Okay. Awesome. And and some it's really cool news. I was walking around the. Cape Town waterfront yesterday. My daughter's with me. The one I've got one daughter who's always keen for a road trip. You just have to mention road trip in the bag is back. And, awesome. awesome. And all, all the, the, only, the only question is, Dad, how many days? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So she and, likes the uh, road trip, but doesn't, doesn't like to be away from home too long. No, she loves it. Absolutely loves it. No, no question. Not what direction, where, what, how. Just throws the bag in and says, Dad, how, how much, how many clothes must I pack? Awesome. Uh, and so, say, four or five days, cool, Dad, no problem. And off we go. <laughs> and, uh, it, it, yeah, no, we hit the N1. I mean, we've been chatting about the N1 and the N12 and the dirt roads up from, from Cape Town to get back into Gauteng and yeah. a couple of options. And I actually took a bit of a different route in the, the business, so I headed off down the N1. Okay. But there's one section that I haven't done for absolute years. And when you get to a little town called Tromsburg. Tromsburg. I always use Tromsburg. I always use Tromsburg as a useful little refueling stop. It's just on about 500-odd kilometers out of Johannesburg. Okay. So Tromsburg, and there's a very, it's a tiny little town. I mean, it's like five blocks. There's a co-op and a church and a... And believe it or not, another 19, 1988 Great Trek commemoration monument. 1988. <laughs> Note I said 88. Note I said 88 and not 38. They also did one in 1988. Okay. okay. <laughs> it gets confusing. And that one slightly different because I think they actually did that in, uh, in the Geo to 4x4 and not, an Ox, not in an Ox wagon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Are you still in the in the hotel? I'm still in the hotel, yeah. Okay, awesome. 
but uh, you know, at at Tromsberg, you you've actually got a choice because the the road the road splits. The N1 goes down through Springfontein down the Kharib Dam into into Colsberg, which is the normal road. But you can take a slight detour and go through a little town called Philippolis. You take the R717. Okay. And Philippolis, interesting little town again. And the most the most interesting part of that one to me is there's a little copy in the middle of town. And you actually got to look for it because a big parking place inside. And you can't really see what's on top of the copy. But if you stop the copy and you walk up the hill, you actually see two old cannons, ancient cannons parked on top of this copy. Obviously, it's some stage protecting the town or something. Yeah, yeah. And the entire area that we're talking about now, because if we put Kokstad into, into, into sort of the perspective of the area that we're in, you've got, you got Bloemfontein and Kimberley just north, more or less the same kind of distance from Philippolis. You got a hope down a little bit further over towards the west where the diamonds were discovered. Oh yeah. And that whole area, you got Griquastat a little bit further over again, just north of Priska. You got the Orange River, the Val River. So you gotta look at this whole thing in context. And Adam Cook was a very, very interesting character. He was a leader, he was actually Adam Cook the third, and leader of a group called the Griquas from Griqualand West. Okay. And we now in the 1936s, 1938s. So we're talking same time as the Great Trek in the area. You're talking about the settlement of what we call Trek Boers. Not quite for trekkers, but Trek Boers had moved into the area. We also just on the edge of the of the ending of the founding of the Basutu nation in what is now Lesotho, those borders oh, yeah, hadn't yeah. yet been com- they had not yet been completely defined <clears throat> and the Basutus were a remnant of Shaka Shaka had caused so much upheaval oh, in yes. that coastal area yes. and his rampaging armies had gone into the interior that literally areas had become completely depopulated and the Basutus were actually formed, or the Basutu nation was actually formed by herds of refugees seeking refuge from the Zulu armies. Okay. And so the Basutu nation is a relatively new concept from the 18, mid, sort of mid 1820s, 1830s. Yeah. As, 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 as that whole area was in upheaval. So you've got the Basutus in there, you've now got the Greekers in that area, you've got the Trekboers and the Foot Trekkers coming in. You know, so there's huge upheaval and people moving and sorting out territories and deciding where, what borders are, and, 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 and. And Adam Cook was actually educated in Philippolis at the, at the mission school. And he was, a, again, a very, very interesting character, and he's sort of a forgotten part of South African history, even though he's got a little town named after him. Cockstadt down in the Eastern Cape is named after Adam Cook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You actually you go through and you go through Kokstad if you're on the N2 heading heading down sort of towards the, the old Transkei area. Yes, that's right, John. And he he became leader of the Greekers because he was a very politically a very very savvy savvy character and he knew how to play people off against each other. 
and he actually shouldn't really have been leader of the of the Greek because because he was the younger of of two brothers. But okay, <laughs> um, he eventually just decided, or it was decided that he was actually the better leader. Yeah. But with that whole upheaval in that central area there, eventually there was a the British governor, a guy by the name of um, Napier, Sir George Napier. He had a very difficult job trying to keep the peace in that area. And he'd recognized the Basutus under King Mosheshwe, another hugely interesting character that you need to chat about at some stage. But Mosheshwe had sort of coalesced the Basutus into a coherent whole and had um, territories, territories bigger than is Lesotho right now. Um, and that, that again, the, the shrinking of, of Lesotho was one of the end results of the Okay, we've now got three names for it. The Anglo-Boer War, the Second War of Independence, and the South African War. <laughs> depending, on which, depending on which side of the fence you stand on this one. Yeah. But with this whole upheaval, but with this entire upheaval, Adam Cook eventually gets convinced to take him and all his followers and move down to the Eastern Cape. Oh, lovely. So, so he packs his bags, and there was a second great trick of Adam Cock and the Greekers. It took them two years in their ox wagons to move from that area down to Cockstadt. Okay, wow. So, <laughs> and, it's, and it's an absolutely forgotten part of South African history that what the fur trickers did, Adam Cock also did. And he eventually settled in and around Cockstadt and eventually died down in Cockstadt. But what I, what I always love about these stories is... Adam Cook now moves down and he goes down and he settles around the area of Cockstadt Mount Curry, around that area. Yeah. They set up they set up their entire own little country. Okay? Yes. Very effective, apparently very, very good, very well regulated, their own government, own legislature, own the whole lot. They 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 raise they raise taxes by trading licenses, by fining. And in 1867, they actually even printed their own currency. Oh, wow. Okay. So, again, you, you know, no one, no one really knows about this one. Although the coins, the coins and the currency were only really usable within their own territory. Yeah, yeah. This, this whole story happened, happened a couple of times in, in South African history. There was also a crowd down in the Western Cape, the Barry Brothers, um, around the Swellendam type area that also at one stage almost had an autonomous country because they, their business was so big okay. that they issued basically promissory notes. Instead of currency, they would issue a promissory note and then you could take, take the promissory note and use the promissory note in one of their own stores. <laughs> you know, so it's <laughs> a kind of sneaky way of doing things. But what I love about the story... Almost, like, almost sounds like an IOU. <laughs> It's kind of forced trade with the only guys in town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so, I mean, Adam, Adam Cook is now down there in his thing doing, doing his own currency and stuff. And eventually, I mean, that, 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 it just doesn't work. And, it, and the, the Cape Colony I mean, doesn't, doesn't like the story. And then they, they, they take the whole of Greek land east and put it under custodianship and sort of annex the place and tell uh, Adam Cook, listen, but this doesn't work this way. You know, we're the chief in charge of the English. Yeah. And they basically depose, depose him. Now we're talking sort of around 1874, 1875, somewhere they, somewhere around there. But what I love about that story 
is you're driving through Philippolis and interesting town. You've got the, you've got the cannons on the copy. You've actually got a, you've got a memorial there as well. Um, and I need, need, need to catch, catch my breath here quickly. <laughs> <laughs> in a runaway train. You got okay. Sorry, I said you like a runaway train. Yeah, no, my my thoughts just go so fast on this when when you're going into these stories. You got a Lawrence van der Post memorial. Ah, a Lawrence van der Post memorial in Philippolis. Okay. You know, and he, Lawrence van der Post, the mentor of, of, of Prince Charles. You, oh. you, you go through, yeah, and it's just the weirdest, the weirdest kind of, kind of connections in, in these little towns. You've got the Transgerip Museum, which is all about Dr. Doc, Dr. Philip, who actually was the mentor and the main preacher for the Greekers. But, okay, I, I'm, I'm running ahead of myself here with this one. <laughs> but you, you're in that same area. Now, if you travel just a little bit further down down the road from Philippolis, you can turn off and you go through to the Funderkloof Dam. From past the Funderkloof Dam, you hit Orania. Ah, okay. Now, the parallels between. Adam Cook and his own currency is mirrored in Orania because Orania does exactly the same thing. Yeah. They've also printed their own currency. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it just and it just struck me when I was re- looking at these stories today about how very rarely is there something new in history. Yeah. <laughs> it uh, keeps on repeating itself. <laughs> just in it different times and different ways. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've ever been to Orania. I I spent a weekend in Orania once because I wanted to go and see what this what this whole story was about. Yeah, Maybe and it's a, a it's a it's a fascinating place to visit. It really is a fascinating place to visit. It's it's kind of surreal almost. Okay, but I arrive in Orania, and I. You're going through beautiful farmland. I mean, we're talking about the Orange River here. Okay, the Orange River, the biggest river in South Africa. Yeah. That's a massive, it's a massive river. I mean, you, you you get onto the bridges that span the Orange River. You've got, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a river that's a kilometer wide sometimes. Sure. Yeah, that is wide. It's huge. It's massive. I mean, if you look at the stats of the Orange River, I mean, the Orange River drains 975,000 square kilometers of South Africa. It starts in Lesotho. It starts in the highlands of Lesotho and cuts clean across the country to exit into the ocean just south of Namibia. Yeah. And combined with the Vaal River, the Vaal River is almost our second biggest river. Yes. And... The Val River flows into the Orange River, also again in this area. So, I mean, this area has got so much. Yeah. But so, Orania, hugely, hugely fertile, water everywhere. And Orania was actually built in the village that was originally made for the workers building the Funderkloof Dam. Okay. And the plans for the Funderkloof Dam was that the Funderkloof Dam was going to be the hub of a massive irrigation 
project that was going to irrigate all of that area around Arania. Because just once you once you're away from the river, it's it's dry nothing. Yeah, yeah. And that somehow never materialized. But when they bought Arania, there were still cement bags left over and a whole lot of building stuff left over. So, okay. Arania was purchased, and then the little village of Arania emerged. Yeah. So it's not a country. It's not anything. It's, like, it's private land. Yeah. It's private land that is that has now just been used or being utilized in a very very Unique. different way. Yeah. You buy, you, know, you, you sort of you buy you buy shares in it. Yeah. So you don't purchase the land. You're buying shares in the company, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, but the most amazing thing with Arania is you arrive in Arania and you. Pull into the the one and only shopping center they've got there. They've got a little center and it's, they've got a little little restaurant place, a little curio shop, and they've got a garage and a supermarket. I think it's an OK Bazaars or something there. Okay. One petrol station. And I I park next to a bucky and the windows are open. And I go, whoa, hang on, I better tell this guy. Where do I find him? And. And you, you speak to someone, the guy says, why must he close his windows? Well, you know, no, no, no that doesn't happen here. <laughs> yep. there's, no crime, there's, there's, there's no crime in Aronia. Yeah. I've heard you that. drive around. The, yeah. You drive around the little town and it's old structures. It's the old, you know, if you, if you can imagine the old 1950s, 1960s asbestos type clapboard houses. A lot yeah. of those are there. Yes. A lot of brand new houses, a lot of money. There's a lot of money in Aronia as well. Okay. But then you see the kids. The kid, the kids have, are swimming now in the municipal swimming pool. Yeah, and they just left, and they just left their bicycles lying on the pavement. Yeah, because they can. They because they can. It's not chained up. No one's going to steal them. Yeah. And I had a super interesting. I actually was going to introduce my road trip app to them because I wanted to put Aranya on the map. So you know, sort of just talk to these guys and get all the points of interest and stuff onto. Onto the road trip app. Oh yeah, and I had a long chat with the. I think that young must guy have been who, an interesting uh, conversation. <laughs> no, it was it was a hugely interesting conversation. Young, young, young guy. Well, I say young guy, probably late twenties, early thirties, who'd moved his business up from Cape Town, and had settled in Aronia. Okay. And I look at him and I go, "What in heaven's name do you want to do that for? There's nothing here." <laughs> but he says, number one, there's huge incentives to put up factories. They've got they've got a big industrial area that's starting up. Okay. So he's moved he's moved his entire he's got a little leather business. So he's moved his entire leather business into Orania. And he, he distributes from Orania. He still makes the stuff in Cape Town because Cape Town has got all the artisans and all the rest of it. Yeah. But he moved it to Orania for distribution purposes because he says the rent is cheap. There is no crime. It's right in the middle of South Africa. Yeah. And my distribution costs have dropped considerably by centering my business now in Arania. That's awesome. <laughs> so, you know, I, 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 I came out of Arania with really, really mixed feelings, not, not quite understanding <laughs> it, but, yeah. yet, but, yet, but yet sort of getting it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it, it's worth a visit. It really is worth a visit. You just go and have a look at it. But just up from Arania, you've got Hopetown. Now, on the road between Arania and Hopetown, you've got the remnants of another one of the big concentration camps. We've, we've gone on to, uh, about the concentration camps a little bit. 
Yes. But there's a concentration camp called the, the Dorenbult concentration camp. Dorenbult. And it is the only it's the only concentration camp now. It, it is on private land, so you can't just access it. It's, it's protected by the Heritage Foundation, and you need to have a um, appointment to go and view it. Okay. But it's one okay. of the it's one of the only concentration camps where you can walk through there, and you can still see the stone outlines where all the tents were, and you can still see where all the different buildings and all the different structures were. And I've never managed to get onto the land there. But by all reports, you still see the bottles and the dolls and the kids' toys lying around. Oh, wow. And all that kind of stuff. So that, that's just, just outside there. Then you get into Hopetown. That's very and spooky. Hopetown, <laughs> it is very, very spooky. And on my app, it's actually listed It's actually listed as, as one of my spook places in South Africa. I've got a couple of spooky <laughs> places listed on my app. Yeah. And I, we, we'll chat about another one just up the road. But because of that, they say that you still, if you stay there, you still hear the children crying um, at night. It's probably the wind howling over the Farfalak, the Flactus, but yeah. still kind of, kind, kind of spooky. Eerie, yeah. <laughs> but then we get the next, the next little town up the road, and it, again, if you're on the N12 and you're heading up towards Kimberley, you now hit the little town of Hope Town. Yes. And Hope Town obviously made famous. <sighs> Because that is where diamonds were discovered. Yeah. And strangely enough, today, today is actually the anniversary, the 13th of October, 1867, is when diamonds were officially discovered in South Africa. So it's actually pure coincidence, but actually kind of luck that we're chatting about 1867. 1867. 1867, yeah. So pure coincidence that we're chatting about the diamond area exactly on the anniversary of the date the diamonds were discovered. Yeah. Wow. And they were found they were they were found on a on a on a tiny little farm called De Kalk near Hopetown. And the son of the farmer there, the farmer there uh, was, was a guy the Jacobs, the Jacobs family and the son Emmanuel, I think his name was Emmanuel Jacobs, had a little thing about collecting shiny stones. Ah. And somewhere along the line, he picked up this this diamond, not knowing it was a diamond. A traveling, another farmer, the next door farmer, has a look at it, says to the mother, hey, do you think this thing's a diamond? She says, no, come on, no way, there's no diamonds here. And he offers to buy this diamond from her. She refuses yeah. and just gives him, and she just gives him the stone. <laughs> yeah, and somewhere along the line, the, the stone the stone goes from the farmer through to another carrier, goes through a traveling salesman, and eventually finds its way down um, into Grahamstown. We've chatted about Grahamstown. Yeah. And it finds its way down to Grahamstown. And the guy who had the little camera obscura, remember the museum in Grahamstown, or the camera obscura guy the name of, of, of Galpin, Henry Galpin? Yes. Henry Galpin yep. and another guy by the name of a, a Dr. Atherstone eventually yeah. actually confirmed that this thing is a diamond, a 21.25 carat diamond. Sure. So, I mean, that, that, that's, not, that's not a small stone. Yeah. And that then kicked off this massive diamond rush in that area. Cause, and interestingly enough, we've, again, we've sort of touched on this once or twice, that when you're heading up south and you're heading towards Kimberley, 
you're driving over this flat area and there's lots of these little salt pans and these little wide open areas and things in, in around. Oh, yeah. And then suddenly you get to Hopetown. You're in Hopetown. You're on the banks of the Orange River. And the Orange River now is obviously very well known for diamonds and diamond mines. There's still lots of little yeah. alluvial diamond beings and people doing their thing along the Orange River. But it's just not far from Kimberley. Kimberley, of course, being famous for the big diamond mine yes. and the big hole. And geologically, it's quite interesting because the diamonds and the alluvial diamonds in that whole Hopetown, Orania, Prisca area are all eroded diamonds off and they're sitting in alluvial soil, alluvial soil being soil that's been washed down by water and then eventually compacted yeah. and, and hardened yeah. out of the Kimberley area. Because the Kimberley diamond pipe, the diamonds are found in what's, what's, what's called like a blue rock, which is old volcanic pipes that okay. are solidified. Yeah. And because of the pressure and the heat and the carbon, that's how diamonds are formed. So the, you can imagine a volcano with a long pipe that goes from underground, way underground, with all hot lava, and then it finds this pipe and it starts spewing up and going up into the into the open air on the surface. Yes. If that thing stops and solidifies, that pipe is what you're looking for. And that's exactly what they found in Kimberley, an old volcanic pipe that they're now digging out that's full of diamonds. Yeah. But it must, have, it must have been way bigger than it is right now. And all of that has been eroded. And those diamonds have now spilled out down towards the Orange River and down towards Hopetown. Yeah. So, yeah, so Hopetown. And Hopetown's actually also got a unique little monument in it. It's got a combined monument for Bibles and churches. Unique in South Africa. Most monuments just do one thing or the other thing. But they've got a little memorial there commemorating the influence that the old Dutch Bible gave to the initial in, um, inhabitants or the initial settlers. Yes. I think you mentioned South it uh, last week as well. I think. Yeah, no, it's, it's just it's just a weird it's just a weird one. You know, you you yeah. walk up to a memorial or something. You normally think there's like one thing there, but suddenly there's two different things. You go, okay, well, why did they build this? You know, in 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 one combo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but again, you know, we. We had that one trip where I went up through through Prisca and you go through Douglas and then you hit hit into Kimberley, and that whole area. All of these roads have their own attraction. Douglas is just down the road from the confluence of the the Vaal and the Orange River. You can actually drive up to that little spot. Yeah, I think before we continue on there, um, let's quickly go to music, and uh, yeah, then I'll have to reconnect to you. I'll have to set up a new meeting. Because I see it's already okay. 25 cool. past or something like that. So it's going to wow. cut out okay. any like, minute. Well, like, like we always say, the, 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 the time just flies. <laughs> yeah, it does. Okay, I'm quickly going to turn on some music and uh, yeah, we'll be back shortly. Okay. <clears throat> no, well, we, we'd, we'd, we'd left off yesterday. Or, yeah, we left, we left off just sort of coming out of uh, Hopetown. And we sort of chatted about Arania and the the Durenbilt the, uh, concentration camp. And now we're going up into that area of Kimberley. Yeah. And before we sort of get too stuck into Kimberley and what occurred there, just an interesting little aside is the little town of Coffeefontein. Oh, yes. And Coffeefontein was 
course, one of those spots that was used as a a different kind of concentration camp, but for Italian prisoners of war from World War Two. So as you come into Corentine, there's actually a little memorial there to Benito Mussolini and King Victor Emmanuel. And it's a really weird thing to see when you're driving in the middle of the Karoo. Yeah. And it mirrors, it mirrors another one up in Kalinin at Zondervata. Because okay. these Italians were, were, the Italians were captured in, in North Africa and brought down to South Africa. And the interesting part about it is a lot of them stayed on in South Africa after the war. And the interesting one, quite interesting little piece of history out of the Zonovata one is that Cullinan, Cullinan Diamond Mine, Thomas Cullinan had a beautiful house in Johannesburg in Parktown. Oh, yes, yeah. And he actually, and he actually used the prisoner of war to paint murals all over the inside of that house. Oh, yeah. And I mean, if you're a prisoner of war... Is Anything that, is better than staying in the camps. Is that house still <laughs> still there? The house is still there. It's called The View. Okay. Um, it's now the regimental headquarters of one of the old colonial, or not colonial, one of the old traditional regiments, the Transvaal Scottish. Fantastic museum. It's open for, for public, so you you know okay. you can you can go in and have a look at it. Yeah, fantastic spot. Just recently been renovated had money from the lotto given to it, and it's been restored to its old glory. It's an absolutely inst- astonishing place oh, nice. to go and have a look at. Nice. You can, you, you, can, you can buy a little lunch there and have some drinks in the museum and stuff. You've got, you got to arrange it. You can't just uh, arrive there, so yeah, the information yeah. is findable. But if you're going up that road, the first really point of interest, I mean, you've got Mokala National Park just on your on your western side. And it's a breeding, it's, a, it's like a park for the endangered species. So they actually breed the endangered species there. And it's one of our newest national parks. Okay. Still struggling, I think, okay. a little bit with, with visitors. They had a restaurant, but the restaurant was closed. I'm pretty sure it's because of um, COVID. lack of use. Uh, oh, well, no, it was closed already in 2019. Oh, okay. So... I think I think prob- probably because just not enough people. I think people sort of go there sort of tend to bry instead of actually using the restaurant. Yeah, but stunning. I mean, that the, the scenery there is is beautiful. Your beautiful sunsets with the acacia trees and the whole the whole thing. But heading into Bloemfontein, your first stop should actually be the Battle of Moda River, and that's where the first push came in by the British to relieve Kimberley. Kimberley was under siege. And the British were sending forces up, and General Pitt Cronier and Coastal Array were defending Kimberley, and they met the British for the first time in Moda River. It turned into a British victory. The Boers had to withdraw. So it became more of a holding action than anything else. But the, the sad part about that battle is that um, General Delaray's son was actually killed in that battle. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, Boer, the Boers had to had to withdraw as you're going around there. The Boers had to move towards Kimberley. The, the, the battlefield you can visit is there's, there's, there's an old, one of the old blockhouses is still there. But the interesting spot there is that you've still got General Wauchope's commemorative stone at Motor River. Oh, uh, Wauchope, he featured in yeah. one of our previous stories of Michael's yeah. one He's been around. He fought in Motor River. He was still around at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> he... he he fought. He, he fought 
at um, Moto River. And there's a memorial stone in the Highland Brigade Cemetery there at Moto River. And the British continued then up, and then the Battle of Marcusfontein. Yes. Now, Marcusfontein is one of those iconic battles in South Africa that almost changed the war, and it certainly changed the face of modern warfare. Yeah. The Anglo-Boer War being one of these wars where, for the first time, the British actually met up against a modern armed enemy. And they hadn't quite figured out the proper tactics to battle against people armed with rifles and who could shoot straight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Marcus Fontaine's interesting because it was one of the first uses of trench warfare. The Boers had entrenched themselves at the base of the, of the hill. Again, very new tactics, very, very different tactics. As the British had to advance over big, wide, flat, open plains. And the British first bombarded the copies like two days. They just poured artillery fire onto the copies, thinking that that's where the Boers would be, you know, take the high ground and shoot off the high ground. Yeah. That the Boers had entrenched themselves at the base of the mountain. So the British eventually started advancing, and like normal, the British put the Highland, the Highlanders in first. It's always the Scottish and Irish first. Yeah. <laughs> and the Boers, the Boers had set up distance markers, they were in their little trenches, and at about 400 yards, the Boers opened fire, and absolute carnage resulted in the British ranks. Yeah. And there was no answer, the British had no answer, you're trying to fight an entrenched enemy, all you're seeing is two little eyes and a rifle sticking over the top of a trench. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the British couldn't really shoot very well, they were still relying on the mass volley fire and kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it was a day of long suffering as well. The guys who got shot were lying in the sun. We're talking December. You know, you're December in Kimberley, it's 35, 40 degrees yeah. in the sun. If not hot. And of course, the Highlanders, and the Highlanders in their kilts, the Highlanders in their kilts <laughs> suffered, suffered incredibly with sunburn, believe it or not, in the back of their legs. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds funny. I mean, anybody who had that kind of sunburn on the back of your knees, yeah. you know, it's super anal. Yeah. And the British wound up losing two, just over 200 dead um, and 600-odd wounded. And the Boers only lost 87 men in total. But yeah. again, a little interesting aside is that they lost 23 members of the Scandinavian volunteers. The Scandinavians okay. actually had their own, their own little brigade-type little command center or command and for all the volunteers that came out of Europe, and there were Russians that fought, there were French that fought, there were Germans that fought, there were Dutch that fought, all on the side of the Boers. And it just shows the unpopularity of the war. Yeah. That so many people were on the side of the Boers saying that this is an unjust war fought against the Boers. And yeah. if you go into it, it, it actually it actually was an unjust war forced by Britain, and it was a war forced onto the South African Republic, ninety nine percent actually for the ownership of the gold mines. That's yeah. actually what it was fought about. If you really drill down through everything, it was the the ownership of the gold mines and the power that 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 Kruger had gotten financially yeah. because of the money out of the gold mines. Yes. 
So uh, dot, dotted around the country are memorials to all of these different forces that came. And in fact, there's another little aside there is Orania actually picked up and moved a memorial out of Johannesburg for the Irish. Because okay. there were a whole bunch of Irish that actually fought on the side of the Boers as well. Oh. So you actually could have had like a mini civil war during the Anglo-Boer War with <laughs> Irish fighting Irish. Yes. And so there, used to be, there was a memorial to the Irish in Johannesburg near Brixton. But that area is not a great area anymore. Yeah. And because of the Irish connection with the Boers, the Irish monument was moved out of Johannesburg into Orania. And the Irish memorial for the Irish volunteers in the Anglo-Boer War actually stands on a hill in Orania. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. And I kind I, I kind of like that because it's sort of a real message to sort of Johannesburg City Council. If you're not going to look after something that is important, yeah, we'll. It doesn't matter who it's important to, but it's important. There's a whole memorial and monument thing there. Yeah, we'll take it over and we'll move. We'll move it. And we'll look after it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a slap. So, in the yeah, face. So you, <laughs> if you ever. It, it is. It is. But it, it's. It, I, I. I can admire that. Yeah. I can actually admire that. So yeah, so you got you got you got Marcus Fontaine there, and you got the Scandinavian core monument. I mean, it's a mass massive concrete pillars, and you got the Burger Memorial in Marcus Fontaine. And Marcus Fontaine is one of those spooky places. We chatted about a couple of spooky places. The one being that 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 um, concentration camp. The other one that yeah. always makes my hair stand on is places like Isantwana and and Rolf Drift. <laughs> You stand on Isantwana, you feel the ghosts. Yeah. And you go to Rourke's Drift, you can actually hear the shouting and the screaming and the, and the carrying on as you look and you think about that battle at Rourke's Drift. Yeah. But Marcus Fontaine, they say, I've never experienced it, but they say at night sometimes you can still hear the bagpipes playing. Yeah. And you can still hear the soldiers marching yes. from the Scottish that, that took such a hammering. <laughs> I would and, love uh, to I go visit that, places like that where the spooks are. I think that that would that would make me run to the hill. You're sitting there two o'clock in the morning and it's moonlight and it's little jackalas in the distance, sort of yelping and carrying on. Suddenly, bagpipe start up. I'd be out of there. <laughs> I don't do these spooky things very well. At. But just then, it, I mean, it's a short run. It's, then it's a short run, and you're into Kimberley, and. If you open up the road trip app in Kimberley, it is just an absolute mess of things to see and do and look at and and go go explore. And one of the more interesting ones is that there's a Pioneers of Aviation Museum just outside Kimberley near the Kimberley Airport. Oh yes, that's the one I and it was the first about. yeah. It's the yeah. first pilot training school for South African pilots. Yeah. So there's a there's a couple of old old biplanes and aeroplanes, you know. Yeah. But Kim, Kimberley it, again, it shows the importance of of Kimberley at the time that it was actually where the first flying school was was set up. Yeah. Was, was set up. <clears throat> so it was an absolute hub. I mean, after the discovery of diamonds. And you've got this massive influx of miners. And then, of course, you've got the big hole. 
Now, your first stop in Kimberley is going to be the big hole. Yeah. And they've done it superbly well. It's been renovated. It's brand new. There's a beautiful interpretive center. It shows you the formation of diamonds, the geology behind diamonds, the history of diamonds. It shows yeah. you some of the old famous diamonds. I mean, India, obviously, India, Australia, Brazil, was all sources of, of superior gemstones until South Africa came along and basically took over that market. Yeah. But you can go stand on the stand on the platform and look down into this hole, and it's the biggest man-made hole in the world ever excavated by hand. Yeah, you know, it's, it's 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 incredible to to stand there. I mean, now it's just an empty hole, and there's a, there's, a, there's water in the bottom of it, so you can't really see the, the total depth. Yeah, but you think of the thousands of guys that were working on there because the old way it worked was you get like a you'd get a, a mining claim, and then your two meters or five meters by five meters, whatever it was, was yours now to dig. Yeah. So you've got all of these guys sitting next to each other, digging and digging and digging and digging and digging. And as they're going down, they've got to have a little transport system for what they've dug to get it out to the surface. Yes. So thousands of little cables running from inside the mine to to the to the to the edge. Yeah. With little buckets and stuff of bringing the ore in and in and out, and and eventually that became the way that they would actually transport themselves down to their mining claim. <laughs> so in the awesome. early morning, you'd go sit in this bucket and off you go down into this hole, hoping that the rope's not going to break. Yeah. And then you spend the Fall day digging and toiling along. I suppose there yeah, must have been a couple of guys that fell to their death there. I'm I'm sure there was. I don't think the Health and Safety Act stretched, stretched to the Kimberley Mine at that stage. Yeah. And, you know, and you can imagine, you're sitting in 35 degrees, there's no wind in that hole. And you're digging volcanic rock, hard rock. You're pickaxing it away and you're bringing it up and hoping hoping that you're going to pull a diamond or two out of this thing. Yeah. So, you know, you stand there. Then you go into the interpretive center. There's a beautiful display of diamonds. And there's guys that, that, that sit there and, and look, look suspiciously at you. It's like having the men in black running around you. <laughs> and you can see them in the collar, you know, father, daughter, father, daughter, two people, two people, look, you know. Talking to someone, or I don't know, letting 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 central control know that there's people in the diamond vault or something. Yeah. <laughs> but you go in there, and I mean, it's it's actually very it's, it's super. There's there's all sorts of diamonds. They show the different colored diamonds, all the different grades of diamonds, the different cuts. There's there's all sorts of different ways to to cut diamonds, and they've all got yeah. they've all got fancy names and the different facets on them. And there's got to be a, a good couple of millionaires worth of diamonds lying in the vault. Yeah, they must be. <laughs> it's it's huge, and 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 it's and it's actually super interesting. I've, I've never quite understood the fascination of shiny stones and why you got to pay so much money for a shiny stone. I get the industrial use; it's hard, and you can do stuff with it, you can drill with it. Yeah, but I've never quite understood why you go come completely gaga about a shiny stone yeah. in a in a ring. It doesn't, it doesn't really have much purpose if you if you think about it. It's a pretty stone. Yeah, if it breaks out and it's gone, it's gone. <laughs> I mean, you can you can make a piece of glass look like that as well, and it's cheaper to replace. <laughs> no, it is, but I mean, if you if you give your girl, girlfriend a cubic zirconia instead of a diamond, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely gonna be in trouble. <laughs> you're gonna be in trouble. But the. But, once you've done the big hole museum and you've you've had a you've had a look at that, you've gone through the thing. It's also where you got that little underground tour where my daughter did her bravery number, which oh, I told yes. you about yeah. in, in the <laughs> earlier episode. 
<laughs> and it, it, it's, it's actually very, it's actually very, very cool. Um, to go through that, you know, that really is nice. It gives you a good idea of what that is. But dotted around this place, they've got an old historical village that they've recreated or rebuilt or restored or whatever you want to yeah. call it. And one interesting little memorial that's there is to the Royal Buffer King, the Royal Buffer King Memorial in the Kimberley Open Mind Museum. And it's on the viewing bridge as you walk out of the hole and you go into the elevator thing to go underground. Oh, yeah. It's an honor. It's in honors of the, the Royal Buffer King regiments who died when they were working in the big hole. You're talking about people dying in the big hole. There's yes. a memorial to the Royal Buffer King, the locals who were brought in as labor yeah. to, to do that. And the, the restored village, I mean, it's got all sorts of stuff. It's got the old mine headgear that's, that, that were used there. Now, the, the mine's first headgear was actually made in England. Uh, if you can imagine a headgear, I mean, the thing's five, six stories high, massive wheels and stuff on top of it, and, and, and. Yeah. And this thing was brought from England and to, to, to now operate in Kimberley. Yes. And the cost of that must be incredible, but, but yet it's there. Yeah. So that old mining kit is all sitting there. But the little museum that you go through, you've got Barney Bonato's Boxing Academy. Barney Bonato ah, yes. is one of the one of the main main characters in um, with Cecil John Rhodes in the in the, in the consolidated uh, De Beers De Beers Mines. He was a he was a fanatical boxer. He had a little yes. boxing academy, okay, which has been restored. You've got a the first Standard Bank branch. Oh my soul. <laughs> First name at Main Branch in Kimberley. You've got the little undertaker's office. Well, clearly lots of people died in the mine, so the undertakers yeah. had to be there. Close by. And <laughs> it, and then they've got an old hearse, an old horse-drawn hearse there. And one of the more interesting little displays that you got in there is at that time it was the done thing not to put real flowers, but to actually have porcelain and ceramic flowers oh, yeah. made and put on the coffins because those were everlasting. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that, that where that changed and how that changed, I don't know, but uh, you know, so, so that, that's a little spot you can go there. You can have a look at the Kimberley's oldest house is there. Prefabricated houses were brought out from England. Okay. To get put up in Kimberley, it was quicker and easier to prefab yeah. houses, manufacture them in England, bring them out, and put them up in Kimberley. Oh, that's you've got that's awesome. <laughs> and they've also got the typical living accommodation of the miners at that time, yeah. And they've got a little, they've got a shack there, and it is as if you are driving through our present-day squatter camps. Yes. You, you would not be able to tell the two apart. It's a yeah. corrugated iron shack built on a little wooden frame with old corrugated pan, panels beaten, beaten together on dirt. And inside is a little bed that this guy has panel beaten together. And yeah. 
it's, it's just again it's that it's that's the reality of the day it's the cheap labor coming in and the one the one that they've got there is actually nicknamed um the cocky Engelsman shack cocky Engelsman shack the okay. cocky Englishman, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so again, it's, it's it's one of those. It's it's one of those 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 we we mentioned a tautology the other day. Yeah. Remember the tautology, the double naming of the same thing. Yes. And yes. khaki, the name khaki, actually started becoming a slang word for an Englishman. For Englishman, yeah, that's it, yeah. Because the <laughs> the English actually changed their uniforms at the time the Anglo-Boer War. From the regimental red, you know, the bright red jackets with white yes. belts and stuff, yeah. they soon realised that that was just being a, it was just a walking target yeah. for someone who could shoot. <laughs> you know, you can see the stand out a like a sore away. thumb. That stands out like a sore thumb, and it's all very well when you're fighting some Aki with spears or something, but when you're fighting an enemy, you can take you out at a thousand yards. All you're doing is you're giving the crosshairs on your white belts to shoot you right exactly where it counts. Yeah, and exactly. And so, so khaki Englishman is actually an Englishman Englishman. Yeah, because the name khaki became the slang word for an Englishman in in South Africa. Yeah, but yeah, yeah so you you've got a you've got an entire day to to spend in in that in that big whole museum and that mine thing. It's 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 incredible. And it's, it's sometimes a bit disconcerting because you, you disconcerting because you walk into the pub and as you go through the door the, the the animatronics kick in and the barman asks if you want to drink something and the guy at the piano starts playing the piano. Yeah, yeah. And it's much <laughs> like that underground tour where they've got the little beams that that go that go across the door and as you as you trigger that beam, some something happens in yeah it starts in, in, yeah. in in front of you. That's so that's where your daughter started started running. My my daughter started running underground when they when they when they when they simulated the bang underground where they were blasting, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so you you've got that entire museum complex, and if you if you're lucky enough, you can actually the the the, the big hole is also surrounded by a whole gaggle of of pretty good hotels, so there's actually hotels where you can sit on the veranda and you've actually got a view of the big hole. Yeah, awesome. But the rest, the rest of Kimberley is orientated a lot, obviously, to the Anglo-Boer War. You've got the one main traffic circle in Kimberley, and you've got the main war memorial there called the Honoured Dead Memorial, as well as the Long Cecil Gun. The Long Cecil Gun. Okay, that's a Long Cecil Gun, and. The Boers had imported guns from 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 France and and rifles from Germany before the war. Yeah, that outranged most of the British artillery at the time. And Long Cecil is an interesting interesting version of this because it was actually manufactured by Cecil John Rhodes during the siege of Kimberley. Okay, because Cecil Rhodes was caught in Kimberley at the time of the war. So he, he, was, he was apparently a, a complete pain and irritation to the garrison commander. And the garrison commander almost <laughs> went into a depression because of Cecil Rhodes, because Cecil Rhodes, being Cecil Rhodes, thought he was chief in charge of everything and tried to run the military side of stuff as well. 
yeah, and wouldn't leave the military guy alone. <laughs> and but they he, actually he sounds like a character that Cecil John Rhodes. Eh? He he was he was he was an incredible character. I mean, if you look at if you take the good, and you look at his vision, and you look at what he did. He, I mean, you you don't create an organization like De Beers Consolidated if you're a muhu. Yeah. <laughs> you can you know if you're an idiot you cannot do that. Yeah. No matter who you are. If and and he just saw the gap. Yeah. He saw he saw the opportunities and he climbed in there and he worked his way through this whole lot. And somewhere along the line he had, I think he just sort of lost the plot a little bit and became a little bit too egocentric. Yeah. And started boxing a little bit above his weight, but I mean, he became he became prime minister of the Cape Colony. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he was he was actually one of the causes of the Anglo Boer War because he financed the Jamison raid. Yeah. And he financed his little private army trying to go into Johannesburg because he was actually it was basically because he was unhappy with the way Kruger was running the, the Transvaal Republic. Yes. And then he felt he was paying too much tax. <laughs> Sorry, and and he wanted he wanted a new government in place so that he could actually just make more money. Yeah, but the fact that the workshops in Kimberley could actually manufacture a cannon in the workshops in Kimberley yeah. again shows the size and the scale of that operation. Yeah, and. Uh, I think I think the Boers and I'm not and no one's quite sure if it was done by design or by accident. Now, the guy who actually made the the cannon was a guy by the name of George Labram. George? He was actually Labram. 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 Okay. Yeah. Sorry, you yeah, worked, just worked, cut out worked, there for worked a for second. De Beers. Yeah, sorry. Worked worked for De Beers. But um he was actually killed in his hotel in Kimberley when the Boers shelled the hotel. So I don't know if that was revenge or just a bit of karma. <laughs> and came back. So the guy who made the cannon shooting at the Boers was killed by the Boers cannon using their cannon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is that's karma for you or something. <laughs> and yeah, but that that's one of the main traffic circles there. Oh my word! It looks like we almost had a time already. Yeah. But, but right at that, right at that, at that traffic circle, there's the the old moth shell hole. And they've got an old tank there. They've got the old moth shell hole. They've got the Anglo Boer War monument of the God the moth memorial. They've got a moth wire memorial. Moth wire being the women's yeah. um, association of the moths. Okay. They've got an old field gun memorial there. You know, they've got an old impala from the old, from the Boer War um, era on the, the the border war era. Yeah, they've actually got an old impala. On 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 a pedestal in that in that 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 little corner there. Awesome. So you, you you can spend you can happily spend an hour just meandering in that one little corner. Yeah. Of of Bloemfontein at the traffic circle, and then if you go into town, I mean Saul Plaiky. Saul Plaiky was one of the more famous inhabitants. Oh yes, yes. Of of Kimberley, there's a there's a memorial. And a monument to Saul Plaiky, and again he's a, he was a product, you know, he was a product of 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 the resistance against apartheid. Yeah. 
Well, not really. Well, he was the, he was the first Secretary General General of the ANC, so we're talking early 1900s. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, so are we, yeah, okay. I think we're going over time, but you got the names of Ernest Oppenheimer, you've got Cecil Rhodes, you've got one of my favorite stories, and I'm not sure if I've actually done this one. You've got the beautiful old Kimberley Club, where you can where you can stay. That's and oh yeah, I've I've stayed there before. Again, it's supposedly one of these haunted haunted houses, but we didn't we didn't see the lady walking down the passage. But <laughs> Cecil Rhodes's spirit is in that is in that club. It's a beautiful old building. Old colonial building, the rooms, you know, massive rooms and the ceilings are like three meters high. Yeah. But as you walk out into onto the terrace, there's a little copper stripe with a little arrowhead on it. Okay. And Rhodes was apparently having a discussion, a heated discussion with someone about the direction of north. Because he always had this thing of look north, young man, look north. Yeah. And from from Cape Town, he was looking north because he wanted to build his railway line all the way to Cairo. Yeah. And there was a discussion as to where north was. And I think they all obviously had a little bit too much to drink. So I don't think anybody could exactly (laughs) find out where north was. (laughs) And he then instructed his stonemasons to lay a copper arrow in the floor of of the Gimli Club. Yeah. To show everybody where north was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> just to make a point <laughs> yeah no absolutely and it just shows the kind of character he was and the money that was involved and and yeah you know i want i want an arrow in the floor here tomorrow morning yes sir yeah you know, next, next morning the whole gaggle of guys cutting and grinding and chopping and cutting on and and putting a little arrow in the floor of the of the kimberley club yeah and you you put i don't know i i've just got to enjoy that kind of character yeah, uh, I chose the 45-minute uh, option, and it seems it's going to give us a little bit more time than the 30-minute option. So, yeah, that's why it's still going. I'm, I'm glad I tried it and see if it works. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, look, I, I, I really enjoyed staying at, at, at um, what was called the, the Kimberley Club. Yeah. And the memorial inside the Kimberley Club, it's full of historical stuff. There's yeah. there's plaques and statues and the and it, it it literally is you you you'd gone into a different era. Yeah. You you yeah. Did, you get a different era. And in at at the at the club there or just next door to the club is also the first civilian casualty monument in Kimberley. Yeah. And it's indicates the spot where the first civilian was killed by the Boer bombardment during the siege of Kimberley. Yeah, and uh, the name is not known. I actually don't know the name of this person oh. because it was an African woman. Okay. It was an African woman. So again, that's one of those parts of the Anglo-Boer Wars that you always focus on the British and the Boers and the Boer concentration camps, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, much yeah. like a lot of South African history, where they concentrate on the Great Trek and not on Adam Cock, who also had a two-year trek with ox wagons. Yeah, and. There's a plaque to her, and all all that's known is that she she died on the 11th of November 1899. Yeah, yeah, and there's uh, there's uh, uh, like you said in uh, one of your previous uh, uh, shows that uh, uh, the black community helped us in in the in the wars at that time as well. 
the fighting against the English. No, all that. No, completely. I mean, all, all, all the, all the Boers had what they called achterreiers. Yeah. And that was like your servant who would be like your, 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 your camp, your camp guy. Yeah. Who would help? Who would help look after your camp and would help look after your horse and who would, um. Yes. Yeah. Help with the food and stuff. So while you're going off and shooting Englishmen, he's cooking your supper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think before we get cut off, uh, let's quickly uh, just tell them about the Mikey Swantain um, uh, competition again and the road trip app. Yeah, no, the road, the road trip app is tied up now, obviously, with the, uh, this ra- the radio station is tied up with the Mikey Swantain Publicity Association as well as with Road Trip Magazine. Yes. And there's two nights free accommodation up for grabs at the Lord Milner Hotel in Mikey's Fontaine. One of those old era beautiful spots. Go for a weekend in the middle of the Karoo and just chill. But you need to answer a couple of questions and one of the each question relates to one of the four people involved in the competition. It's a free it's a free entry. The only yeah. thing that's going to cost you a little bit if you're going to down, download the Road Trip app. Yeah. The Road Trip app is on Play Store. It's on, it's on iTunes. It's on iStore. Yeah. And you just look for the little, the, look for the, the, the black and white logo yeah. is the one that's going to give you the answer. And it's Road Trip SA. And it's all got to do, that's Road Trip, Road Trip SA. Yes. And it's all got to do with Mikey's Fontaine. Bits and pieces of history about Mikey's Fontaine. There's some fascinating stuff in Mikey's yeah. Fontaine. And... The the road trip app, guys, it's growing. My partner recently came back from a trip to Ladysmith. I think he found another thirty five odd spots to add to the app just out of Ladysmith. Nice. I'm in Cape Town. Nice, nice. Yeah, and it's all little bits and pieces. You know where this bomb fell and where this shell hit and the actual story behind the guns outside the town hall and yeah. you know plot run. The Platrunt battles out out in Ladysmith, the siege in Ladysmith. Ladysmith also got some fascinating places. The yeah. siege museum in Ladysmith is great. If you and I found a couple now in Cape Town that we didn't. And again, I'm coming out of Philippopolis, and I'm on the Orange River. And my daughter says, "Dad, Dad, Dad, on the hill, on the hill." We stop, and there's what looks like a regimental monument, typical Second Anglo Boer War monument. To, to a regiment. Yeah. And we don't have it on the app. And we couldn't get to it. It's on private land. The farmers barricaded it and the fences are all locked. Oh, no. It's surrounded by barbed wire. Yeah. So I took a long range. All I could do was take a long range photo of this and we're still trying to find out what memorial this is. Yes. Damn. Better <laughs> <we should laughs> if there was another. Try yeah. to get hold of this we, guy. We, and a spot, a spot down in Cape Town that literally thousands of people drive past every day yeah. on the beach road in Mitchell's Plain. If you look on the, one of the little hills there, there's a, there's a pyramid thing standing up there. So I find the entrance and drive up and go, to, uh, go around it. And it's an AIDS memorial to all the people that have succumbed to AIDS and HIV. Okay. Which we also wow. didn't have. It was unveiled in 2009. So that's now going up onto the app. So yeah. the app is constantly growing. It's growing and growing and growing and growing. And obviously, we're hoping it gets long legs now that tourism is, is starting up again. And we wind yeah. up with a thousand people and they're downloading the app and they arrive at the airport. Yes. That's, that, 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 that's, that's the eventual aim of this thing. It's been a yeah. labor of love for five or six years putting this thing together already. Yeah. 
Awesome. But yeah, the competition, the competition is exciting. The, the entries are piling up slowly. There's, there are people starting to enter. We're starting to get traction on that one. We've still got two weeks to go on the, yes. on on the entries to that. So guys, you've got 14 days to enter the road trip Mikey's Fontaine competition. Yes, and I keep on advertising it everywhere I can. No, it's on. It's all. It's on. It's on all our social media links. If you get onto the road trip Facebook page. Yeah. Last week or the week before was an entire Mikey's Fontaine week. Go look at those posts. All the links are there. Entry form is there. The the links to everything is is up is up on on those posts. <clears throat> on and our we, page we, as well. We add we add in. Uh, all all the links uh, that connects to you and uh, the road trip Mikey's Fontaine. Everything is on our Facebook page. It's pinned right to the top of the page, so you can go take a look there. Um, go enter. Get the road trip app. It's one forty nine, and the app is yours. There we go. Awesome. Uh, how long are you still going to be down here? in Cape Town? Um, I'm actually going to. I've got. I've got. I'm, I'm hopefully meeting up with the road trip magazine guys today, okay. and I'll be out here on Friday. And I've actually planned to go up via a spot that's been on my radar for a long time. I want to go via a little spot called Lurie's Fontaine. I've heard of it. Now, most people most people give you a completely blank look when you mention the word Lurie's Fontaine. Yeah, I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know of it. <laughs> yeah. But I, now, I, I Lur- Lur- you're right. Yeah. Not a lot of people know. Lur- Lurie's Fontaine. Lurie's Fontaine is up northern northern Cape. You you head up the West Coast Road, and you then go up via. Let me just think. Sort of heading up, sort of through Calvinia, um, Nivoldsville, Calvinia. So you're going up through Clan William, swing a right, and you head up. And I want to go spend the night in Lurie's Fontaine. Firstly, I just love that area. That's the that's the great big flat badlands of South Africa. Salt pans everywhere. Yeah, yeah, you know, desert area. But Lurie's Fontaine has got an interesting one because it has what's commonly called the Windpump Museum. <laughs> Windpump Museum. Okay, I've got the Windpump Museum. It's actually called the Fred Turner Museum, but everybody calls it the Windpump Museum, <laughs> and it has a display of the development of wind wind pumps in South Africa. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> that is very interesting. And I mean there's nothing there's nothing more iconic than when you're on that on that long road and you see this lonely little wind pump squeaking away and squirting water into the farm dam somewhere in the Karoo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's just that, that that that's typically South African. Yeah. So I want to head out head out that way, go through Lurie's Fontaine and then explore roads from Lourdes Fontaine heading off east. But now, now from from there, I'm not sure if it's accessible, but there's a straight-on route between Lourdes Fontaine and Kimberley is the area called Verneukpan. <laughs> Verneukpan, okay. Verneukpan, but Verneukpan has also got a, a, an interesting little, little piece of history to it. Yeah. And it's where land speed, the world land speed record was set in 1929 by Sir Malcolm Campbell. Oh, yeah. And this guy drove some some horrendous machine to just over 200 miles an hour. Yeah. Okay. On, the, on the salt pans. Yes. 
And you're talking 1929. I mean, that's there, there's no ABS and stability control. Yeah. And, you know, 1929. You, you, all you're doing is you put 1929. So all you're doing is you're throwing the biggest engine that exists on top of four wheels. You're keeping the body as light as possible and you fire the thing up and you go. <laughs> and you hope that the brakes work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if all else fails, you've got to have a parachute. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so so from so so from Luris Fontaine, there's a whole there's a whole area out there, and yeah. not sure exactly yet if we're gonna go go out via Carnarvon or go out via Prisca. Yeah. Um, we'll, we 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 will wait and see. Another another possible stopover is we were chatting about the the corbelled houses, those little stone igloos that the locals used. Oh yeah. And in in Carnarvon, you can actually go stay a night in those little corbelled houses. So that might be an interesting thing to go and do. Yeah. For a night on the on the way back up to Joburg. Yeah. But we'll let you know. We'll let you know next week what we discovered on that on that road. It's going to be an interesting little chat on that one. Yeah, I think that will be lekker. But awesome, <laughs> thanks. Um, sorry, sorry, we had to do it so early, but uh, yeah, it was lekker. I don't have any problem with this. I love it. Absolutely love it. And now I need just showing showing what South Africa. <laughs> Just show it. Yeah, I'm going to have some more of this very strange coffee of mine as well. <laughs> no, bad, bad coffee is better than no coffee. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. <laughs> so yeah, but Excellent, later you man. can go to the restaurant and go get something proper. Absolutely, we've got we've got the, the, they actually do a very very nice breakfast. So we're going to go get ready for breakfast and get ready for the day today. Oof, now I'm jealous. Ooh. I am so hungry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thank you, Vinier. Good awesome. stuff. Cool. Okay, see, we'll see speak you next to you. week. We'll, we'll speak to you during the week, and we'll yeah, we'll speak during the week, and we'll plan next week's one as well. Okay, cool stuff. Awesome. Thanks, Vinier. Cheers, eh? Okay. Bye. Yes, bye. Dat zei dit was die road trip show samen met Diederik. En hy is daar onder in die kaap, so hy het weer lekker saam met ons gesels en al die interessante dinge. En volgende week sal hy vir ons een bykie vertel van die plekjes wat hy so vinnig gaan besoek het op pad terug. En uh, ja, ek dink het kan nogal interessant wees. Maar jylle luister hier net na Radio EcoHealth en hoop jylle dit geniet. En uh, uh, ek gesels weer later met jylle. <tied>